Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 1 Samuel 13, we need to look at our own lives. And we need to ask ourselves, do we always have enough faith to be patient and wait on the Lord? Or do we sometimes, in our impatience, take action in our own flesh? I mean, have you ever decided because of what the circumstances look like, dire circumstances, that you have to take an action, but you know that God has spoken to you and you're supposed to wait? You ever been in that situation? I have. And you also might be looking at this and sympathizing a little bit with, with Saul right now. You're, you're, you might be saying, well, well, wait a minute, it's Samuel's fault. He was late. He told him to wait for seven days. Well, obviously he wasn't real late because as soon as Saul finished, Samuel showed up. And the truth is that Samuel wasn't late at all. Samuel was right in God's timing. You see, we have to look at it and realize there's a great possibility here that God was testing Saul. Not for God to find out what Saul would do, but for Saul to find out what Saul would do. It was to show Saul that he had a lack of trust in God. Remember back in the book of John when Lazarus was sick and Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus? Remember that? Jesus purposely delayed his coming, and he knew that Lazarus was going to die. The women did not understand why Jesus had done this until Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and he had a purpose in delaying. Their faith was tested in that period, and sometimes God allows us to be tested in that very same way, to show us how much trust and faith and patience that we would have to wait upon the Lord. His timing, it's always perfect. Always perfect. Yet we seem to always want our timing, don't we? How many times in prayer are we telling God, God, hurry up. I don't know what's going to happen. Hurry up. I remember one time um, I'd been renting a house and um, the landlord decided to sell the house. And so I had 30 days to get myself and my family moved out of this house. And day after day after day, I couldn't find a house, and I was starting to freak out. You know, I needed a place for my, my family to move into, and I was begging God, come on, God, tomorrow, come on, i got to find a house tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Well, that went on for almost a whole month, and, and I had literally settled on a very terrible place that I was about to rent for um, more money than I was paying for this house, and I was distressed about it, and, but I only had three days left. And all of a sudden... This house became available. So instead of this little two-bedroom, I think it was an apartment actually that I was looking at, a little two-bedroom apartment, there was this five-bedroom house with a pool that came open. I looked at it and I went, well, I could just at least go find out. There's no way I can afford this. Well, long story short, I go, um, I put in an application. There's like 20 other people, um, doctors, lawyers, wanting to rent this house. And for some reason this landlord decides to rent it to me for $100 a month more than I was paying for my last house. God's timing is always perfect. If I would have foolishly jumped in on the other one instead of waiting for him, I wouldn't have had that blessing. And you know, like Saul, so often, don't we worry about what might happen? We're always worried about what might happen. Do you know there's research done that says that most people uh, worry, and I think it's something like 90% of what they worry about never takes place but that's how we are 
We worry about our circumstances. So the question then is, well, what should have Saul done at this point in time if Samuel was late? It's the same thing we should do. When we think God's late, what should we do? We should go to him in prayer. And we, we should say, well, God, I thought you were going to do this. You, you promised this is what you were going to do. You showed me this. You let me know it's not happening. Then we go to him in prayer and we say, show me. What am I supposed to do here, God? What do you want me to do? He'll show you. He'll take you to Scripture. He'll bring somebody alongside of you. And if he may tell you to take an action, then you take an action. But if he doesn't, you need to wait. And you need to have faith. Seek the Lord in prayer. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3 says this. I love this. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. The great thing about this psalm is it's so personal to the psalmist, but you can claim that very same psalm. If you wait patiently for the Lord, He will do these things for you. And if you look at the result of this patient waiting, you get firm footsteps, you get a new song, and best of all, when you wait patiently in faith on the Lord, many will see and trust in the Lord. You'll have that opportunity to share your faith with other people. They will see, wow, this person doesn't get rattled. If I was in that situation, I would be so scared. I would be so rattled. I wouldn't know what to do. You get that chance to share that witness. Well, let's look at the result of what happened with Saul rather than waiting and being disobedient. The end of verse 13. The end of verse 13, it says, For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. I want you to read that again. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, the name of this whole series. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. It's already a done deal, Saul. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Wow. What a price to pay. Just think of what was said here. Saul's house would have reigned forever. Instead, we know that that falls to David. Now, there's some theological issues that I'm not going to get into tonight. It would take too long. And you can wrestle with these things. Well, how does that work? Because we know that it had to come from the line of David. But David, remember, was later on, and you'll see this in Samuel, was asked into the house of Saul. He became part of the house of Saul. Maybe that's... How it would have worked, I don't know. Um, but we do know this, that it says right here, his kingdom would have ruled over Israel forever. But instead, because of what he had done, that wasn't going to happen. He forfeited that privilege. Now again, you ask, well, why is the punishment so severe? Well, remember we've talked before about Moses and what happened with Moses, that he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land because he misrepresented God. When God told him to speak to the rock, he struck the rock. It was what he had done earlier when God told him to strike it. But God told him to speak to it. He didn't. He struck it. And he misrepresented God. And that's the same thing that Saul was doing right here by his disobedience. He was misrepresenting God. God had a picture of the priest in the burnt offering and Saul was messing it up because he wasn't a priest. 
God wanted to show that there was only one who was ever going to be priest and king, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ, and Saul messed that picture up. Now, he could have been ignorant. Maybe he didn't know the law. He could have been arrogant, or he could have even been superstitious. Maybe he thought it was the ritual of sacrifice that was important here, rather than God himself. Remember back when we talked about the fact that the Israelites, after defeat, brought the ark out, thinking, oh, that's what's going to cause this victory. And they were using it superstitiously, not as knowing that it was God who actually would provide the victory. God himself, not a ritual and not the ark itself, but God would bring the victory. You see, when a true peace of God offers that sacrifice, it's not superstitious and it's not a ritual. It's an act of worship. The burnt offering represented to the people of Israel the surrender of their will to God. And it had to be represented by the priest. The priest was the one who would go to God and say, God, here we are. We're offering this burnt offering, giving our will to you. And he was the only one who could share that with God and represent the people before God. Saul's job was to govern the people, not speak to God for them. And he had a faithful priest, as we read last week. Samuel was a faithful and good priest. He spoke to God for the people And he spoke to the people for God faithfully. There wasn't any reason for Saul to think that that wasn't going to happen again. So lesson three. Just as Samuel was a faithful priest for Israel, we have a faithful high priest who always represents us without fail to the Father. It was because of his sacrifice, his act and surrender of his will to the Father that we are allowed to go to God directly. Hebrews 4, why don't you turn over there. Hebrews 4, quite a bit to uh, your right, towards the end of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4. Starting in verse 14, it says this. Therefore, and of course this goes back to an explanation that's been going on for a while. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, those of us who are believers in Christ, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. That's why he can represent us so well. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Jesus' sacrifice was a once-for-all sacrifice. If you move up a little bit in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 11, Hebrews 10, 11, it says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The, the offering was not to take away sins. It was not a full atonement for sin. It was a temporary thing. Verse 12, But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, that's an important important verse, he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, the hand of power, verse 13, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. 
Verse 14, for by one offering, by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That's us. Isn't that awesome? That's our high priest. But there is a sacrifice that we are to offer. There's a sacrifice that we get to offer to the Lord. And it's interesting because it's actually represented by the burnt offering. See, Saul did it before our offering was supposed to be made. He messed up the picture. But the picture was to be that eventually, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we would then offer up something that was similar to the burnt offering. It's the sacrifice of our will to God. It's the sacrifice of surrender of our life to God. Romans 12.1, I know you know this verse. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You see, in response to His sacrifice for us, we give Him our lives to be used for His will and for His glory. It's a burnt offering. Remember I said, it's the expression of giving our will over to God. And we get to do that. And then Jesus continues as our high priest. He intercedes on our behalf. He speaks to God the Father for us. That's why when we say, when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. And, you know, if you pray to God the Father, the Holy Spirit, I don't, that's, you know, they're God. Okay? All three. But we pray in Jesus' name because it says that He intercedes on our behalf. Hebrews 5.10, if you were still there in Hebrews, you can look at that. Hebrews 5.10 says this of Jesus. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then in Romans 8, Romans 8.33-35, it says this. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Verse 34 Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Jesus continually acts as our high priest and continually intercedes for us. What an awesome thing that we have the one and only priest and king interceding for us every single day of our life. Jesus, our King. Jesus, our Priest. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, our Rock. Jesus, our Redeemer. So the question is, is He your Savior today? And I know most of you here, and I know that for most of you, that answer would be yes, He is. And if He is... That means he is your priest. And it means he represents you before the Father. He is your redeemer. He bought you back from the graveyard of sin and death. But let me ask you this. Is he your rock? Is he that rock that you can stand upon and know that your feet are firm? Is he that solid place for you? Is he your king? Is he your Lord? When you say he's my savior, he becomes all of these things to you. And to say that someone is our king and our Lord means something. 
It means that you bow to Him in worship and obedience. So we need to ask ourselves that question. Are, are we doing that each day? Are we bowing to Him in worship? And are we bowing to Him in obedience? And again, I know that that can be a difficult thing. I think most of us find it easier to bow in worship than we do in obedience. Amen? At least I know I do. We can often feel like a certain four-year-old child whose mother found him in the hallway sobbing uncontrollably. And she recounts this event saying, this is what took place. Well, what's the matter, sweetheart? Are you hurt? He shook his head and turned to me. And, but I was unprepared for his response, she says. Daddy said a bad word to me, he sobbed. I almost laughed out loud, she said. I, I had known my husband for 12 years and had rarely heard him even raise his voice. But Michael had heard him say something and I was curious enough to want to know what it was. Honey, what bad word did Daddy say? And seeing a chance for sympathy and my sensitive four-year-old, she says, stopped crying and blurted out, O-B-E-Y. That was the bad word that the four-year-old had heard. Obey. Well, sometimes that seems like a bad word to us, doesn't it? And if that's a difficult thing for you to do, I, I pray that tonight you give that struggle up. That you go back to Romans once again and, and offer your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Allowing Him to use whatever He wants to use in your life. Make it be your burnt offering to the Lord. And, and I promise you if you do, you'll experience blessing that you never, never, ever dreamed of. Because along with obedience comes blessing. Now I'm not talking necessarily about financial blessing, and that seems to be what people always think. Well, if I'm just obedient to God, He's going to bless me. I'm going to have more money. I'm going to have a nicer house. I'm going to have a better car. No. That could happen. God does that. But it may not. I look at Pastor Hector. I'm sure he's not getting a new car. I'm sure he's not getting a new house. But I am sure that his sacrifice of obedience has brought him tremendous, tremendous blessing in his life. Consider this story about the founder of the Salvation Army. It says, when J. Wilbur Chapman was born in London, he had an opportunity to meet General Booth, who at that time was past 80 years of age. Dr. Chapman listened reverently as the old general spoke of the trials and the conflicts and the victories he had experienced. The American evangelist then asked the general if he would disclose his secret for success. He hesitated a second, Dr. Chapman said, and I saw the tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheeks. And then he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that he would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart. Listen to this closely. He has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Dr. Chapman said he went away from that meeting with General Booth knowing that, quote, 
The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. Boy, powerful. So here we are in 1 Samuel 14, and God's given us three lessons that we want to take home with us tonight. The first lesson was make sure that we're giving God credit in our life for everything good that happens in our life because he's the one that deserves the credit. He's the one that's given us what we need. Number two, when God gives you instructions, follow him. Do what he tells you. You may have to wait. You may have to be patient. It may take a measure of faith. Pray to God for the faith to be patient and pray to God for the faith to follow through on the instructions that he gives you. And thirdly, remember that Jesus is your faithful high priest and he'll intercede for you for the rest of your life. So knowing that he's your high priest, that he's your king, that he's your Lord, be obedient. O-B-E-Y. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for all that you show us in your word. And God, it's always amazing to me that we can look at something that took place so many thousands of years ago and learn so much from those experiences. And God, you don't call us to look at the people who made mistakes in the Bible and condemn them for what they did. What you want is for us to learn of those mistakes and not repeat those same mistakes. So I'm, I'm just praying for each one here tonight, God. For those that maybe, maybe they have not really been giving you the credit that you're due. Uh, maybe they have been thinking that you know, it's their own skills and abilities that have brought them to where they are. Then I pray for that person tonight. Lord, would you, would you just speak to their heart and help them to know that you love them, you forgive them for that, but you want them to repent and to turn from that. It's you saying your word, you'll not share your glory with anyone else. So speak to that person tonight, Lord. And for those of us, Lord, who have so much trouble with patience and following instructions, God, and waiting upon you and having the faith that we need to, then God, speak to our hearts tonight. Remind us that you have a plan and you have a purpose and that there's blessing in following and oftentimes there's severe consequences when we don't. So speak to our hearts tonight in that area as well, God. And, and thirdly, Lord, just to remind us daily that you are interceding for us. Lord, when the enemy comes against us, we know that we have a faithful high priest interceding on our behalf. When the enemy goes to the Father accusing us, as it says in your word that he does, that you're right there, you're our defense lawyer speaking on our behalf. Nothing the enemy can say can reach the ears of the Father because it's, he is the Father of lies not the father of truth. And you're there to speak the truth. So God, we trust and we rely upon you for that. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that has not yet made you their Lord and Savior, then I pray you'd speak to their heart right now. And I pray if that's you tonight, and as you've heard these words, you've, you've thought about the fact that you don't have Jesus as your high priest interceding for you daily, but it's something that you want then I just pray that tonight you would turn your heart over to him and, and that you would just speak to him. It's, it's something like this. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being my high priest. I thank you that you sacrificed yourself for me, that I would have an opportunity to surrender my will to you. And I want to do that tonight 
It's a simple prayer, but it has to have meaning. It has to come from your heart. It has to be the desire of your will. So I pray if that's you, that you'll have prayed that prayer and that you'll surrender your will to him tonight. Lord, help all of us to surrender more completely your will as we continue to follow you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org. When you think about, you know, how love acts or what it does, you can go to 1 Corinthians 13. And what it doesn't do, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's patient. It's kind. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. But love also doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices with the truth. It doesn't wink at sin. Love covers a multitude of transgressions, but it doesn't wink when someone's destroying themselves and others with their own sin. And Saul just didn't get that, and so he acted foolishly. And he could have enjoyed something incredible. Of course, God knew what Saul was going to be because God is omniscient. He knows everything. But he could have had a throne that was established forever, but he made poor decisions, and his kingdom would not endure. God goes on to say, For the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. We find out about David that what it means to be a man after God's own heart is a man who will carry out all of God's will. That's what Paul says in Acts chapter 13 as he preaches to the people. And so we get a key insight that fits beautifully with this section. A man or woman after God's own heart is a man or woman who will do all of God's will. Not some of it, all of it. That's what it means to be a man or woman after God's own heart. And it connects to this idea of love. Because when you love somebody, you want to please them. When you love somebody, you're looking out for their best interest, for their uh, great name, whatever the case may be. You see, Saul was more concerned about how he looked and how much he couldn't wait anymore. David was concerned about the glory of God, not perfectly, but consistently. And this is how we measure our Christian journey now, folks. We say, whose glory am I concerned about? Who do I really want to please today? How do I want to live this day? This is the only day I've got. For whose glory, for whose ends, for whose purpose, for whose kingdom am I living? And when you start to ask questions like that, you start to get at the root of what it means to love. To love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know this love? Do you live out this love?